Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative, and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nakubo in Brief. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Megan Strand, your host today, and I am very excited to be joined today by Sue Mendito, Director of Accounting Policy for Nakubo. Hi, Sue. Hey, Megan. How are, you, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being here. I am excited to jump into accounting. Okay. We usually <laughs> don't hear that from people, so I'm really happy to hear that from you. Well, that's why we're here. So we're here today to talk about FASB's new not-for-profit proposal. And I'm hoping you can start out today by just giving us some background on the proposal and explain the significance to us. FASB, also known as the Financial Accounting Standards Board, sets standards for, uh, for businesses and not-for-profit organizations. And colleges and universities, at least half of the colleges and universities at Nakubo, are not-for-profit entities. So what makes this proposal significant is it's not very often that FASB changes its reporting model. The last time the reporting model was changed for higher education and other nonprofits was back in the 1990s. Wow. So, yeah, so it's been about 20 years. And I like to say, you know, if you're lucky enough to have it happen twice in your career, yay, it's job security, (laughs) if you understand both changes. But, But 20 years really is a long time. But the the positive side of that is it's nice to know that there's a, a standard setting authority that cares enough that says, you know, a lot happens in 20 years. Kids grow up. They go to college. You know, you, you may move three times. You may have two or three employers. It's possible that the world has changed in 20 years and maybe we need to take a look at this reporting model and see if it's doing what we think it should be doing and um, pay attention to some of the weaknesses we've heard in the last 20 years. Hmm. So what are the major changes that are being proposed? Well, the major changes being proposed, uh, I believe, uh, stem from some of the feedback received by users of financial reports over the last 20 years. Hmm. And the major changes also uh, stem from an advisory group of not-for-profit experts that the FASB put together, and that group started meeting in 2011. So in the not-for-profit world, we have things known as, we have classes of uh, assets or net assets on our financial statements that designate uh, the use of the assets. So we have an unrestricted net asset class, a temporarily restricted net asset class, and a permanently restricted net asset class. So I don't want to put you to sleep, Megan, but basically (laughs) all of those net asset classes sound pretty similar and they sound like, whoa, those are a lot of big words. So, um, so we've got unrestricted, temporarily restricted, and permanently restricted, and we're trying to distinguish between restrictions that donors impose on our resources. So if you're trying to distinguish between what donors propose on resources, what's the difference between temporarily restricted and permanently restricted? So this is, this is a major change. The FASB is saying 
uh, maybe we don't need to have so many classes of, of net assets. Maybe mm. we just need to distinguish between what's restricted and what is not restricted. What's restricted by donors and what's not restricted by donors. So that's the first major change. Okay. Just along the lines of restrictions. The second change is, gee, when, when you look at the financial statements of a college and university, we don't know if the college was profitable. Is there any way we could develop a measure of operations? How successful were we at operating? And, um, and make it something that can be consistent and comparable across all types of not-for-profits. So this proposal attempts to do that, put a measure of operations in to show how successful we are. Um, also, one of the, another change is ex in expenses. When uh, people read the financial statements of nonprofits and colleges and universities, they always look at the types of expenses we have because everyone wants to understand how we're spending our money. And there's some feeling that, you know, that may not be clear today. You can report expenses like salaries and benefits or utilities. Well, everyone knows what those are. But you can also report expenses by program today, maybe educational activities or instruction or academic support or student services. And it might be nice to um, for users, readers of financial statements to understand the intersect point between the programs that you are carrying on and the types of expenses like salaries and benefits and utilities and supplies and maintenance that uh, that undergird the, the program. So uh, mm. basically analyzing expenses. Uh, they'd like to improve the relationship between um, the statement of activities, which is like an income statement. Actually, the statement of activities shows all the activities of the organization and how cash flows through the organization. Um, one of the next thing in the proposal is they want to help users understand the utility of the statement of cash flows. The statement of cash flows is a uh, very underused statement, probably because very few people understand it and how it relates to the overall financial picture or health of the institution. So they'd like to have the statement of cash flows speak to the, um, the operating statement and how successful the organization was. Hmm. And um, one more thing, uh, since the worldwide economic collapse in 2008, there's been a lot of talk about liquidity. How much cash do organizations have on hand? When the markets collapsed in 2008, all organizations, all reporting entities were scurrying around for cash to pay their bills. So how might you better convey how liquid you are? So if I haven't put you to sleep already, <laughs> that's the list. <laughs> that's a big list. Well, yeah. and it sounds like most of this, as you as you mentioned, is to make this these reporting this reporting a little bit more digestible for people who are reading them, like the end user who might be reading them. Is that accurate? Yes, that that's accurate. Um, so along those lines, uh, if we drill down on some major components of the list, uh, we'll we'll talk about some some of those changes that maybe would make the statements more usable. And in your opinion, which one is higher education most concerned with and why? Uh, a couple of them. Higher education likes the fact that the FASB is proposing only two 
classes of net assets, restricted and not restricted, or unrestricted and restricted, or with restrictions or without restrictions. FASB's playing with the terminology, but you get the gist. But related to uh, net assets that are restricted and net assets that do not have restrictions, um, FASB is proposing that we present and uh, the accounting for endowments a little bit differently, specifically when endowments lose their value and might go underwater. Going back to the economic collapse of 2008, when the market, anytime the market collapses, uh, you may have uh, a fund that you're investing and say that fund uh, that a donor gave you to invest was worth $1,000. Well, if the market collapses and the fund is now worth $900, how that $100 loss today flows through as an unrestricted loss. And it doesn't make a lot of sense because the endowment is restricted. So when the loss flows through as an unrestricted loss, it gives the impression that the college owes $100 back to that restricted fund. Hmm. And that's not really the case. If an endowment is restricted, keep the endowment all in one place in the restricted portion on the financial statements and flow all the losses when the fund is underwater through through the restricted net asset class. So that's that's a that's a huge propo uh, uh, proposal for us in, in higher ed. It 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 um, it clears up a lot of confusion about how uh, how how much money we do or don't have because the endowment fund is. Is, is a savings account, if you will, that's been restricted by the donor that we're going to use to support the university over time uh, in perpetuity. And you don't want to give the impression that market fluctuations are affecting our current operating results. So uh, with the endowment proposal, you feel that that's helpful to universities? We feel it's very helpful. Um, especially uh, for small institutions that have to show how financially healthy they are uh, through a series of ratios they calculate as required by the Department of Education. There's often been some confusion about how underwater endowment losses flow through the income statement and how they affect the college's net position. And right now, the Department of Education is flowing those losses through as if they're uh, operating losses. And um, it makes colleges look a lot less healthy than they really are. Uh, it would be the same thing as if I lose money in my retirement fund, since I'm not going to retire for another 10 years or so. I don't, those losses in my retirement fund really don't affect my household budget today. So we think that that's a very, very helpful thing in higher ed, and we're, we're pretty happy about that one. We're also pretty happy that the FASB has decided to address a, an operating measure, address something that um, provides maybe a bottom line uh, for end users that shows how profitable or how successful we were uh, in in the current reporting period, so we're we're really happy about that one, and um, we're also happy about um, one of the cash flow uh, statement proposals, which is that I mentioned earlier. The cash flow statement's hard to understand, right? So FASB's proposing that um, 
we we show cash cash flows as um, direct cash flows versus indirect. Not to get too technical, but instead of it being um, a reconciliation uh, of cash, it's it's actually a statement that shows amounts of cash that have come in and are used for certain reasons, and and amounts of cash that go out and are put to to use. So uh, we we think that that direct method of cash flow reporting is is a good change. Now, moving on to a different topic, what about public or state-supported institutions? Does this proposal change anything for those institutions? Yes and no. So unfortunately, public institutions uh, or state-supported institutions uh, have their accounting standards set by the Governmental Accounting Standards Board or the GASB. Mm -hmm. So we're always hopeful that the GASB will be looking at what FASB does and, and maybe they'll put a project on their docket to, um, to help us get a little closer and unite us as an industry. So it won't. Uh, so, so we're hoping that GASB's watching and considering what FASB's doing. But where it might affect public state-supported institutions most is uh, the vast, vast majority of state colleges and universities have private uh, affiliated not-for-profit foundations that hold their um, contributions and hold their endowments for them. So so the not-for-profit affiliated organizations for public institutions would have to follow this new FASB reporting model. And the state institutions would Bring, would bring those not-for-profit affiliated foundations into the annual report. And uh, so, so it, would affect, it would affect them, and they would need to understand uh, what the FASB is doing. Well, so we've talked a little bit about some of the, the, the helpful points of this proposal, but can you talk a little bit about how Nakubo and others have responded and what in particular the board is doing to show that they're listening to comments that they're receiving? Well, that's, uh, that is... That's a really, really good question. So because uh, proposals like this only happen maybe every 20 years, um, we like to say once in a generation, uh, I think it's really important for everyone to know that many, many commented to the FASB. You know, normally the FASB might, they might float a proposal and it affects higher ed or not-for-profits and, you know, you get couple, three dozen comment letters, but, but the FASB received 265 comment letters, Hmm. which is a lot. And many of those comment letters represented large groups, such as Nakubo responds on behalf of 1200 independent colleges and universities, you know? So, um, so the FASB received a lot of comment letters and, um, and um, one of the one of the, the things that Nakubo told FASB is, well, we very much appreciate uh, that you're that you're going to require or that you're proposing to require an operating measure, a measure of how successful we are. But in the FASB's proposal, they were proposing two measures of, of operations. Um, one measure would um, be relate would would have all the same business rules and it's related to the not-for-profit's mission and the availability of resources to fulfill the mission. The second operating measure they were proposing was a result after 
the college's governing board made some decisions about how to use the resources. So Nokubo said, you know, we love that you're proposing an operating measure, but we think one measure makes a lot more sense because two measures, you're looking at the noise between measure one and measure two, and that could lead to confusion. And if you have 1,200 colleges, they could all be making different adjustments between measure one and measure two. And we don't really think that all of those different types of adjustments necessarily uh, helps, helps the industry. So we very strongly said we think there should be one measure of operations, and the one measure of operations should have some, perhaps some rules around it related to the availability of resources and the fulfillment of the mission, but just have one measure. So let me give you an, an example. In, in the proposal, um, today in higher education, endowments are, um, are a huge resource. And we have donors that donate money and they require us to hold those funds in perpetuity. That's forever. And to spend the money on those funds, perhaps annually or for special, special purposes. Well, sometimes a college's governing board sets aside unre large unrestricted gifts um, and sets those aside to function as an endowment. And these might be large bequests or, you know, kind of one-time large gifts. And today we manage those unrestricted funds functioning as endowment and restricted true endowments as one set of endowment funds. Well, FASB's proposal would have us split up between measure one and measure two how, the, how those endowment funds are spent. And we really believe that that kind of creates confusion. It's, it's some noise in the operating statement. It doesn't really reflect how we manage endowments. And why not require that the results of governing board decisions, as well as the constraints placed that donors place on resources, be kind of mushed together in a rule-based way, and that we just show one measure of operations. So um, that, that, that's a big thing. That's something uh, that we spent a lot of time uh, talking about in our comment letter. We also thought that showing a lot of organizational activity in the statement of activities really just makes the statement of activities cluttered. Um, I know you're not an account, accountant, Megan, and I may be losing <laughs> you on, on not at all. I'm following right along <laughs> on some of this discussion. But but the point is that not everyone who reads our financial statements are not for profit accounting experts. Our own trustees are not not for profit accounting experts. Right. Many of them are business people. So to the extent you're showing a lot of activity flowing through the statement of activities, you're, you're, you're making the statement confusing. Sure. In, in fact, in the business world, um, businesses have an income statement and, and they have, they show the results of their operations and it's very rule-based. Uh, business entities also have something called a um, statement of changes in owner's equity or perhaps a a statement of changes in shareholders' equity if they're publicly traded. 
So in the not-for-profit world, we don't have two statements. We have this one statement called the statement of activities, which really is everything. It's the income, it's the loss, and it's all the other activities all flowing through on one statement. So that's already including a lot of information on one statement that business people may not probably don't understand combined with all the restrictions and uh, this, that, you know, and whether you've got unrestricted resources or temporarily restricted resources or permanently restricted resources, there's a lot going on in that activity statement. So why make it worse? Why not perhaps split the activity statement into two statements, an operating statement or an income statement? And then the second statement explaining the changes in resources that really goes to donor restrictions or kind of governing board policy mandates or resources that are set aside. In the not-for-profit world, which includes higher ed institutions, you know, governing boards and the organization itself has to make careful decisions to preserve that organization through time. The donor may have given, donors, hundreds of them may have given you money for an endowment and you're going to hold that endowment in perpetuity through time. So in order to hold that endowment in perpetuity through time and make that endowment useful to the organization, you have a stewardship responsibility to make sure the organization exists through time. That's why you often designate unrestricted resources to help you exist through time. So uh, bottom line, don't make it confusing to convey these points show the results of operations in an income statement or an operating statement and show all the activities, the other activities around your resources in a second statement or maybe in a disclosure. And have you gotten any indication from the FASB that they've heard these comments or that they're planning to incorporate them? Actually, just just last week, the board, the FASB, the Financial Planning Standards Board met and they started discussing the comments. And um, not only the comment letters, but there have been some roundtables that have occurred throughout the country where um, many who commented, Nakubo participated, many who commented could um, could elaborate on their comments. So the board, I think, heard what their constituents were saying and said, you know, how we proposed presenting a measure of operations, uh, we did not get a lot of positive feedback. And... We're also hearing that there are so many different types of nonprofits that maybe one measure uh, using one set of concepts doesn't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. So um, the board said, you know, although an operating measure is kind of important, uh, there are some other areas where we got a lot of agreement. So maybe we should consider dividing the project now our discussions, known as the deliberations, the re-deliberations, into two phases or two work streams. That's the buzzword they're using. Um, The first work stream or the first phase would address um, what I'm going to call the quick hits, Uh, uh, combining, uh, going from three net asset classes to two net asset classes, elaborating a bit more on expenses, showing natural and functional expenses in an analytical way that helps users understand those expenses. Um, Keeping some of the categories the same in the income statement so as not to uh, 
confuse our current users of the statement of activities. Uh, perhaps uh, we're going to deliberate, re-deliberate the direct versus indirect method of cash flows, but, but kind of keep those um, those the same. Um, so I think that, and, and, and then the operating measure, which is going to be much more difficult, how to explain the result, your results, and how to do that for all different types of not-for-profits. Let's... Um, Let's move that to a second phase that because clearly we need more time to identify that. And let's also move to a second phase, how we categorize our results of op operations and how those categories perhaps are, uh, move to the cash flow statement and so that the cash flow statement uses the same categories. So um, – so in changes to the net asset classification scheme, two net asset classes, they're going to look at that. The underwater endowment accounting and reporting benefits I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, flowing capital assets through in a way that makes sense. We, we build a lot of buildings in higher ed. Uh, again, analyzing functional and nat natural expenses. Um Improving some disclosures around uh, investment return, uh, liquidity, and natural and functional expenses, and um, really examining the best way to present the cash flow statement out, showing an operating measure, and um, you know a analyzing whether we need to change some of the categories that we use in our cash flow statement and in our operating statements, such as financing activities, investing activities, and the like. So I think that was um, a big decision on their part. And they'd like to, uh, in phase one, make some permanent decisions by June 30th. And that that's that'll be here before we know it. So best guess then when it comes to phase two in workflow, when that might be addressed, if we're, if we're trying to get phase one done by June, did you say June 30th? Yes. So another 20 years. <laughs> I don't think it'll be another 20 years, but I, I do love guessing for a living. It makes me feel kind of powerful. And then I, you know, I kind of add up all the times that I've been, I've been correct. But, um, so if they're done with phase one by June 30th, that would be June 30th, 2016. I imagine those changes would be effective for um, the 2018, perhaps, reporting years. All okay. right? Okay. Uh, then phase two, I imagine they'll take a year to to deliberate and discuss the operating measure in phase two. And I imagine any any final decisions would be effective maybe in 2020. Um, I won't be retired by then. I'll see you. So, you know, I we'll have, have to have you back on the podcast when that all happens. <laughs> you might you might want to assign the accounting podcast to someone else. But, <laughs> Never. But I do think that um, and so I think many of our current business officers, controllers, EVPs of finance and administration will probably be around to um, to, to see this change. And um, certainly for all the newer, younger um, uh, accountants that may be getting out of school now, uh, this uh, how we do things today will be but a distant memory for them. 
in, in a few years. So, um, so that's my best guess. And Nakubo will keep covering the results of the board deliberations uh, every other week or monthly uh, in our um, electronic newsletter and on our website. And uh, probably through in some of our professional development programs as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sue, for giving us an overview of this proposal. So helpful. And you can find out more about today's episode by, of course, visit, visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast in iTunes so that you get the latest episode. Things like this, it's important, folks, and it's going to affect your daily life and how you interact. So please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And on behalf of Sue and myself, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us of this episode of Nakubo in brief.